I'm going to have you open in your Bible to uh, the book of Hebrews. That's New Testament. So you find the middle, turn right, go toward the back of the book, and eventually you'll run into Hebrews. And the fourth chapter, Hebrews 4. <clears throat> I don't know if you have uh, grown up with a habit of memorizing verses of Scripture, but these verses <clears throat> would serve you well to be part of the memorization. You may not remember the address. That's the chapter and reference and verse, and that kind of thing. But if you can capture the content, that would be good. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 <clears throat> is what we're going to look at this morning in terms of the power of the word. <clears throat> and this is how it reads in New International Version. <clears throat> For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. <clears throat> I decided, before, rather than jump into Acts chapter 2, I wanted to back up on a couple of things. Now, I've told you before that I reserve the right to just kind of alter things from the study in Acts, and so it's getting minorly altered here today. Uh, but it relates to that because that portion we'll come to next week, I think, uh, is uh, a sermon that Peter preaches, which is based upon uh, God's word, Old Testament truth. We'll explore some of that when we get to that next week. And I want to remind us about the primacy of God's word. We've talked about uh, core values in the past. And, and so let me, let me go to a couple of them just to remind you. <clears throat> The first core value was that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Now, that, that's not the one we worked. We worked on prayer first, but we'll get to that. That's number two. But anyway, but lost people matter to God. He wants them found. So we've looked at the issue of the lostness of people and what happens when, when lost people lose, when we don't have that <clears throat> passion for people and we don't, Take the time and make the time to pray for people. You remember uh, the last several weeks we've given you that most wanted list and praying for people, beginning to pray for people. If you're not already in the habit of doing that, beginning to pray for people that you, would, you could envision the Lord might give you opportunity to speak truth into their lives, not to hammer them, but to be able to be a, a, a herald of God, a, one who brings truth. When the heart's been prepared, last week we talked about the man of peace and how God prepares the heart of people to receive. It's the story of Philip from last week and the Ethiopian eunuch and, and how God had prepared that person to receive the truth from Philip and the dialogue and relationship. That's all. If you missed that, pick up the message from last week or hook up with it eventually on the website. <clears throat> 
So that's the first one, lost people million. Second one is prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Uh, that's why groups have times of prayer together, whether it's a, a life group that meets together for prayer, whether it's a corporate body meets together during the week, <clears throat> whether it's a time of prayer. A prayer before service, a time of prayer on behalf of people, whatever it is, that's the primary work, primary work of the people of God. So you can argue about which one's more important, core number one, core number two, but the people of God need to need to be focused at that point. The third core value, which really is a different number in the alliance list, but I want to hook, hook onto it now, is this one. <clears throat> Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. Now, there's, a, there's an important combination of words there. It's not just knowing God's word. <clears throat> when I was growing up as a young person, I got involved in Youth for Christ Bible quizzing. And that was back in, well, we'll just call it the Dark Ages. We'll just, just, we'll just do it. Don't dare. Well, I'll give you some numbers a few, more than a few years ago. And then the Alliance began to develop its program, and uh, I've been very involved with that over the years and working with different districts and, and having uh, encouraging that in our own local church, and, and uh, it, it's been a good knowing God's Word. So they, would, they will study a book of the Bible, and then they'll have international Bible quiz competition, held somewhere in the U.S. or Canada, and they'll do that each year. Um, and they'll have districts send a team of young people who've been studying a particular book. They, they have it, by and large, pretty very, very familiar, if not memorized. If not memorized, and that's amazing in terms of what your mind can do when you put it to it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> but knowing the content and being able to memorize or to recite a verse upon just a moment's notice and obeying it are two different critters. You can be educated beyond your obedience. Okay. And so the important piece for us is that we are people who know and obey. Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. Uh, we have different measures or yardsticks for success. Sometimes we measure it in terms of a bank account, bottom line. Sometimes we measure it in terms of prestige or a particular area of uh, accomplishment. Maybe you're a, a school superintendent and there's a kind of aura around a school superintendent compared to uh, an aide that helps at school. Uh, how do you determine success? Is, is the person who, who's up at the top of the food chain more successful? Or, or can the person who's been down lower on the rung be equally successful? I believe <clears throat> this core value will speak to that, that knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. So now I want to look at Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 for a few moments. And if you have a Bible, good for you. Um, I, I can't. I understand the value of the electronics, and I, I use that from time to time, particularly if we're vacationing 
and I don't have the the Bible right with me when we happen to choose to go to a particular place. But and and then when we sit, like Barb and I'll read oftentimes during a week, and and so we'll use the electronic version. So we'll, so, but it's good to have a something tangible to hold on to. So Hebrews four verses twelve and thirteen. Um, I watched, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, History Channel had something on the uh, dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. It, and this is about the time of year, you know, when that was observed. <clears throat> and they were talking about the power of that. Didn't know whether Fat Albert or whatever the name of the bomb was, uh, Big Boy, Big Boy, I guess it was. Didn't know if that thing was going to go off or not. They hoped it did, but uh, they, and, and, and then when it did, they were stunned at the power of that. They interviewed a number of people in Japan who survived that, if you can envision, and they talked about the power of that bomb when it hit, uh, how it, it literally melted flesh off their hands um, and uh, disfiggured uh, an immensity of the bomb. Uh, those that survived it, uh, quite a number, obviously, did not. Uh, so if you ask, what's the most powerful weapon in our world? You might think atomic bomb or nowadays hydrogen bomb or some thermal plasma nuclear or something or other that's probably a little bit more even high tech from there. But from a Christian perspective, there is nothing in this world more powerful than the word of God, the written word of God. It is the thing. It's, it's, not, <clears throat> it's not the programs of the church that are going to change lives. They can help in process. It's, it's not the facility of the church that's going to change lives, though that can make us creature comfort oriented. It is, when it's all boiled down, it is the word of God. We A lot of the music we used this morning focused in on the importance of that word. It's the written word of God. Paul describes it in Romans 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And the word that Paul uses there is actually the one we get the word dynamite from. It's the dunamis. It's the dynamite of God. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who hears. Jew, Gentile, doesn't make a difference what the ethnic group is. It's the power of God, and it is that word of God that is awesome. And uh, that's Paul loves that, that language. It, 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 but it leads to the question, how is it that the word has such power to change lives in our world? <clears throat> People have problems. And when they have their problems, they try to find solutions. You have a, a, a substance abuse issue and you go to Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous and you try to find a support group to try to help you address the things that are controlling you instead of you being able to control it. We have all kinds of issues uh, that we deal with in our world. And yet it is the power of the word of God that is able to change lives. 
uh, you certainly can receive help from some of the support groups that are there. But it is in the bottom line, as far as the Christian worldview, it is this word that makes all of the difference in terms of its power to change and alter lives. So let me look at a couple words that relate to this this, uh, power of the word in Hebrews 4. First, we see that God's word is a living word. That's verse 12, the beginning, for the word of God is living and active. Um, It will do no good to try to plant something that does not have life. I understand that the seed is dormant, but eventually there comes life from that kind of thing. But it is a lot. It, it, it has to have the, the seed of life, the substance of life within it in order for it to really do its job, whether it's adding to the beauty of creation and the wonder of creation around her or whatever, whatever it may be. The word of God is living and active. That's the language New International Version. King James says the word of God is quick and powerful. If you go back, it, you know, but it, it, you know, it, it brings life. It brings life. It's a living word. It brings life. It's the word because God's word lives because it's the word of the living God. In John 6, Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, the truth that Jesus speaks to us through his word, bring that life to us. It's alive. It's alive. And that's more than something in a in a horror film that you find out that Frankenstein is alive. I'm not talking about that. You're talking about the power of the word of God to bring life into something that is dead. <clears throat> the scriptures tell us that we were dead or are, if we're still unregenerate, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God spoke a word of life. It's almost like you, you go back to the, the image in Genesis when you have God breathing life into Adam and Eve. He breathed the breath of life into them and caused them to live. Gave, gave them all of the purpose that he had intended for them. God's word lives because it is the word of the living God. God's word lives because it gives life. Peter puts it this way in chapter 1, verse 23. You have been born again. That's his language. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. You've been born again. And it's not been because... You walk through the door of an alliance church. It's because God's word has entered into your heart and mind and it has breathed life into a soul that is dead, alienated from God, and now brought from death to life. It gives life. God's word lives because it has inherent energy. The energy. When Jesus was arrested, he spoke a word. And that word forced his adversaries to the ground. And I don't know what he, it may not have made a difference what he said. It was the force of the power of the word of Christ that they just kind of fell back. And I I don't understand all of why that had happened, but it, it certainly had its impact. 
And yet, when you go to the New Testament further, the last chapter, uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19, there in verse 15, it describes the scenario in which, with, in which Christ will win his final victory over all opposition through his word. His, he's, you know, you ever had an argument and you want to get the last word in? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose on that kind of thing. But Christ has the last word. And there will be no more trying to one-up somebody else when you're dealing with the Christ in terms of his final word on things. And in that 19th chapter, that's where his final victory is secured over all opposition because that energized, energia word, uh, just we pull our word energy from that. And then finally, God's word lives because it's constantly active. It's constantly active. There are two verses that I put in the study notes that talk about uh, the passage from Isaiah 55 and verses 10 and 11. I'm going to go back and read those. And then a nearby uh, verse in Jeremiah. Isaiah 55:10 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven <clears throat> and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. It goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, <clears throat> but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So that's a promise of God's word that even when there may not be an immediate result, God's word still is going to accomplish its purpose, the purpose for which he has established it. So that whenever you take the time or you have the opportunity to share the word of life with people, people like Jackson that Frank was talking about. God's word comes to that young fellow and he longs for, God longs for that young boy to be able to respond to truth, understand it. But if he's not ready for that, that but that doesn't frustrate the purpose of God. God's going to just keep on bringing that truth and, and, uh, and bringing that word to them. In in the book of uh, Jeremiah, <clears throat> chapter 23, a similar kind of thought comes here. It says, uh, Jeremiah says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? It went by a church. Uh, no, it wasn't a church. It was Masonic Lodge. And I don't always pay it. A lot of attention to those gangs. But, but at any rate, uh, there was a signboard outside of it. It said, it's better to be a hammer than a nail. And I thought, well, that's probably true. I, there's a song, I'd rather be a hammer than a nail. Yes, I would. I don't know where that one came from. That's an oldie. But anyway, but the point, I'd rather be a hammer than a nail. Here, this word talks about <clears throat> my word is like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Why would I suggest that we keep in our Bible or somewhere near to us a most wanted list of people? It's because God's word is like a hammer that breaks the hardened heart, the rock-solid heart, into pieces. And it's not that he's trying to just obliterate people. It's just that sometimes it just takes a while for that truth, that word to get into the soil of the heart so that there can be change 
and transformation. God's word is a living word. <clears throat> now there's another description that's here in verse 12, and that is that God's word is, is also a cutting word. And so here's the language. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. It cuts. It cuts. Now, <clears throat> when you, whenever you have a need for a surgical procedure, they don't go get uh, a chisel somewhere and uh, try to uh, hammer a, an opening into you. Uh, they use precise instruments that do the job. On the Learning Channel, and this, I don't know, this, you may, you may or may not be able to handle this. <clears throat> there is a program that comes on sometimes on Thursday, sometimes on Wednesday, depending, uh, uh, usually Thursday night. And it's called Dr. Pimple Popper. Have you ever seen Dr. Pimple Popper? It's a, it's a, it's a cable program for, uh, featuring Dr. Sandra Lee, who, has a, who is a surgeon, who is a, a, a dermatologist surgeon in uh, California. And so people come to her for all kinds of problems. You know, they come in and they've, they've got a, 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 some kind of mass on the back of their neck, and it kind of looks like a humpback. And they had one gal come in, and she had to comb her hair very carefully because here there was a, 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 a lipoma. I'm getting good at knowing what these things are. You know, There was a lipoma on the side of her head. And then she had a whole bunch of them all through here. I... I I have a sister who has a thing that recurs on the back of her head that that when I was with her last, I said, oh, there's a there's a surgeon out in California that that deals with people like you. You know, I, I didn't quite put it that way. But but at any rate, but uh, it, but every time that uh, Dr. Lee uh, or Dr. Pimple Popper uh, goes to work, she uses a very very sharp scalpel that cuts, makes an incision, and then she can do her work and either easily remove or wrestle with whatever the critter is that, that, that needs to come out. The word of God cuts. It cuts. It's a cutting word, <clears throat> like a double-edged sword. And I'm not here to talk about the you know, the, the, what, what all of that means. All I can tell you is that God's word is not only that which brings life, but that which brings uh, conviction as well. It's cutting. It, 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 it brings the necessary pain, if you will, although, you know, we can deal with the pain issue. It brings the necessary things to the problem to deal with them, to correct it. And then sometimes it involves cutting. But that cutting, here in Hebrews 4, says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's sharper. It, it God's word cuts. Here's a word. I'll, I'll use a bunch of adverbs here. It cuts superlatively. It cuts better than Dr. Pimple Popper does with her scalpula to remove whatever it is God's word, when it comes to us, gets right to the area that is needed and does it precisely and better than anything else. 
Sometimes we work with people who have struggles or problems and we try to offer our words of counsel or advice. But you know, sometimes the best word is simply the word of God and let him do his work. God doesn't call you to be somebody else's conscience, to be somebody else's policeman. He calls you to be the ones who bring the word to people and let God's word do its work. Uh, we talked several weeks ago about <clears throat> a variety of methods that could be used to help uh, people uh, who are prepared in heart to receive truth. And as we talk about somebody help, helping lead someone to Christ, we talked about, oh, you could use evangelism, explosion, you can use the four spiritual laws, you can you can lose the resource book by Bill Fay called Share Jesus Without Fear. And, and that particular tool always just uses the simplicity of the word of God. It says, well, it just I simply asks the question. Well, you know, and, and then you, you ask them the question and then you have them read a particular verse of scripture. And you let and, and you don't say anything. You, you shut up. And let God's word do its work. That's the cutting word of God. It does that superlatively and it does it thoroughly. There's the second adverb. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now, <clears throat> uh, uh, the scriptures talk about how we are made. And while I believe in holistic, we are a whole being. The scriptures talk about body, soul and spirit. In this particular verse in Hebrews, it talks about the, the distinction between the soul and the spirit. I don't think he's ignoring the body, but whether whether we're trichotomist or dichotomist doesn't make a whole lot of difference, I guess, because God the one God's the one that works all of us together, keeps all of us. Whether you think there's a distinction between soul and spirit, if you think you're the same thing, but in the language here, it cuts. This word of God cuts thoroughly. It does all that's needed to be done. So. When, when, we, when we have this word that we bring around with us, whether it's electronic or hard copy oriented, always remember that the intended intention of that word of God is to bring life to us. It's a living word, but also to cut, to, to, to bring those things to bear upon our life that will enable us to be whole before him. So we receive the remedy of God's word. One final piece is that we see God's word as an exposing word. Here's a, another powerful picture, verse 13, to end of 12 and verse 13. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. <clears throat> God's word exposes things in our life. It's like the light of his word shines on the darkness of our behavior and says, here is my word. This is where you are. What do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? It may be that it takes a while. It's like the hammer working on the rock before God gets to the issue with you where you finally say, okay, I've tried all these other things. They're not worked. Uh, I give up, God. I'll let you do your work in me. And, 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 the, and the stone gets broken and the word of God begins to penetrate because it exposes our thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is open 
Romans 14, 12 talks about the same thing. So then each one of us is going to give account of our life to God. Here's, here's, we'll talk about the table of the Lord. We, we have to give account. We have to give account of our life before God. Remembering that Christ enables us to come to the table. But God's word exposes personally, first of all, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, <clears throat> you, can, you can go along and you can see somebody or something and you can speak your opinion about it. But your opinion doesn't matter. It's just your opinion. It, it may not affect or change the truth of the situation or what that person's doing or what that person's into. That may not be, but God's word judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Ultimately, God is the judge. We're not. We're not. That's the difficulty. Sometimes we, we, we think God needs a hand. God needs a hand in this process so that we ought to be his policemen, the, the, the morality cops of the world. God can do just fine. He can do just fine in bringing the cutting edge of his word, but also the exposing edge of his word to us personally. Scriptures talk about the danger of hardening our hearts. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 8. It tends always, our hearts tend to stray. The, the hymn writer put it this way. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so that's the old hymn that expresses that wandering heart. And the, the desire of God is to write his law within our heart. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 isn't too far away. <clears throat> Let's see if that, uh, I think that's it just only a couple pages away. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. This is the covenant. The writer says, I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's the longing of God's heart. God's heart is to, is to let the truth of his word rest upon us. And then and only then will we have a heart that's transformed and changed uh, God's word exposes personally, it exposes universally. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. We might think there are things that, that uh, we can get by with, and we may. There may be habits that we do in secret or have in secret that you don't want anybody to know about. But you know, it's all open before God. And the sooner we can embrace that and, and, and not be afraid that he's going to be a God who's going to come and drop a, an atomic bomb on us when he longs to draw us to himself. The sooner we confess our sin, that's, there's, there's the first John 1, 9. The, if we confess our sin, if we literally agree with God about this issue of sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. Nothing exposes, uh, uh, the God's word exposes personally, universally, and also, here's a third uh, adverb, powerfully, verse 13. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I'm going to close um, the message today with a story. I'm not going to tell the story because I've got a guy that tells stories better than anybody I've ever known. His name is John Bechtel. 
He's a former missionary with the Alliance from Hong Kong. And he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about a, a, young, a, a young girl <clears throat> who is treated uh, quite unfairly because she chooses to stand for Christ. And maybe the best thing is just let that story speak for itself. There's another end, another purpose I want in that story, but but you'll hear you'll hear a little bit in, in the story about how the God's word powerfully exposes things. So let's go to that, and then I'll come back and wrap that piece up. Communism came into China in 1949. The church was shut down. Christians were shot, re-educated, sent to the country. It was all over for Christianity. The bamboo curtain was impenetrable. The only way you could go was in, but you couldn't come back out. And none of the people would come out and tell us anything. Many times in the rivers in the, uh, that came down to the Pearl River into Hong Kong, bodies would come floating with their hands tied behind their back and their heads cut off. Terrible things happened in China, but we never knew what was going on. I thought, you know, maybe the communists are right. Maybe they have wiped out Christianity. Finally, the bamboo curtain opened. And all the Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries who had been there, myself included, couldn't wait to see what was going on. I walked down the streets of Guilin, and I saw this one woman coming down the street. Everybody wore blue and gray, but her blue looked bluer and better pressed than anybody else's. So I went up to her, knowing full well you can't buy perfume in China, and I said to her, in Cantonese, where can I buy some perfume? Oh, she took a deep snort. Oh, if I could just smell some perfume again. I haven't smelled it for 30 years. You can't buy perfume in communist China. What's the matter with you? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll introduce me to a Christian, I don't care how old the Christian is, I will give you all the perfume that my wife has up in her room hoping to goodness that my wife had some perfume. The woman said, I know a Christian. Come to the corner of this and that street at 10 o'clock tonight when all the lights are out, and I'll introduce you to her. That night, my wife and I went down the streets of Punk of uh, Guilin, which were dark. We came to the corner, and here she was. Follow me. We followed her. We went down to this place, up the back stairs, down the hall, into this little room with a little candle burning. We're sitting there on a wooden bed, waiting to meet this Christian. And I said, what is this Christian lady's story? She said, oh, it's a terrible story. She said, this poor young girl at 32 years of age was put on trial after her mother and father, very wealthy people, were killed. And she was asked by the judge with all of us sitting there. She was naked. She had a dunce cap on her head, which was how they did things in those days. And she was asked the question, will you follow Jesus? If you say you will not and you deny him, I'll let you go right now. You'll be a free woman. And all of us, there were about 5,000 of us in the stadium were thinking, please, please, just say you don't believe in Jesus for one minute. And then ask Jesus to forgive you. That's all you got to do and you're free. This young woman you're going to meet in a minute said, I will follow Jesus Till the end of my life, I cannot deny him. I'm sorry. 
We all braced ourselves for what the judge would say. Sure enough, the judge got angry and said, you will clean a sewer for the rest of your life. In China, the sewers are open. You have to take a rake and just keep them moving. And that was her job. But this woman told us she's been doing this for 30 years. And her father owned this house, but she lived in a little room downstairs, which we let her live in. And I hear the patter, patter, patter up the stairs. And I hear quick steps down the hall. The door bursts open. And here's this little woman, 60-some years old, a smile as big as the world on her face. And she looked at us, and she said, which one of you is a Christian? And I said, I am. She said, I'd like a Bible. It's the only thing you can't have in China. So I said, well, if there's one in this town, I'll have it to you in the morning. I went back to the hotel. This was about midnight. I went in, and there was a Hong Kong Chinese pastor checking into our hotel. I walked over, and I said, hi, Ronald, how are you? Ronald said, don't talk to me. I don't want anybody to know you know me. I said, Ronald, I want to talk to you until you give me a Chinese Bible. He said, I have six of them. I said, oh, that's easy. Just give me one. He said, I can't. The customs officer got very angry and wrote in big letters in my Bible, when this man leaves China, he has to have six Bibles. So I have to give him when I leave. I said, let me have them overnight. He gave me the six Bibles. I took them upstairs to my wife. And between the two of us, we kept, cut Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out of one Bible. And we went through the Old and New Testament, and we cut one full Bible out of those six Bibles. Next morning, I gave the six Bibles back to Ronald. My wife had made a cover with a T-shirt for the one Bible that we had cut out. We took it over to the woman with all the clothes we didn't need, about four years of salary to give to her. We burst into her room where she was sitting on her bed praying. We gave her the clothes, beautiful clothes, my best clothes. She said, put them over there, almost like she was angry. So then I reached in my pocket, and I took out the equivalent of four years' salary of her money. And I said, here's some money to help you. Put it in the drawer. I was getting discouraged. Then I took out the T-shirt covered, cut up copy of God's Word. She lit up. She grabbed the Bible, took it to her breast, and said, Oh boy, oh boy, precious, precious. You will never understand until you've been through what I've been through. Those things over there, those clothes and material things, they mean nothing. The money in that drawer over there, nothing. It's all right here in God's Word. You have given me the greatest gift you could give me. I suspect you um, have more than one Bible in your house. Maybe every member of your family has one. Maybe you have multiple copies, multiple translations. Um, 
But until the core value of knowing and obeying God's word is the thing that leads you to the ultimate success, until this word is precious to you, it will just remain a book on a desk or on a table in your home. So uh, Cantonese word, bo bui, bo bui. Say it with me, bo bui, bo bui, and it means precious. When God's word becomes precious to us, then we will let it have its full impact and work in our life. And it will become a living, cutting, transforming word of God that exposes everything in our world to it and becomes the path on which we walk, the, the light to our path. Uh, that that brings life and truth uh, to us as we journey. So I wanted us to be reminded of that before we jump into a long sermon that Peter takes off on in Acts chapter 2, the importance of the powerful word of God. Let it, let it have its work and way in our lives, maybe. Let's pause for prayer. We confess to you, Father, that <clears throat> sometimes we approach your word uh, academically. We want to master its content. We want to uh, be familiar with its principles. We want to be knowledgeable about it. But sometimes that can be a rather sterile approach when we do not find it to be the most precious Thing in the world to us. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But forgive us for those times when we do not view it as bo bui. Word of God, speak. Pour down upon our heart like rain the truth of your word, that we may be not informed, but transformed by the power of that word and for what you will do as you lead us into truth by your word, which is truth. We will give you thanks and praise, and we will be changed for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 So go in God's grace. Greet one another as you go. God bless you. And uh, next week, maybe, we'll get into Acts chapter 2. We'll see where that goes. <laughs>